Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis 37. I have Mike Matizeski come up here. He doesn't uh, really want this, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, hey, one of the things we've got in the habit of doing, number one, is I want you to know how much you are loved and appreciated, and honestly, how much we can't do without so many of our great volunteers. Unless they're like, if we were, if we were able to honestly acknowledge all of you, which to a certain extent, let me make a plug for this, next uh, Sunday morning, nine o'clock, if you volunteer in any way, shape, or form in our church, we've asked you to sign up. Let us know. Uh, we have a pancake breakfast, just a simple way to say thank you uh, for all you do. Because honestly, if we were to take away all of our volunteers, um, yeah, we wouldn't be able to accomplish what we're able to do. Um, and Mike, we just want to say thank you. We acknowledge Mike this year, or this month, sorry, as our volunteer of the month. Um, you know, Mike, Mike leads a team that prepares us for everything from uh, storm emergencies, medical emergencies, CPR, things like that, all the way. Uh, and, and, and they, like, listen, they, they do a lot of training. Um, and Mike has done a good job getting the team together. We want to say thank you for all of you do. Um, appreciate you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Jello Club, right? Jello Club, yeah, Jello Club. Mike Lee's our Jello Club. Moldable, cut it in different shapes. <laughs> It's always good when it's, when it's hot out. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, we're starting a new series called Detours. How many of you have ever been on a detour? How many of you like detours? Yeah, most people are like, detours? Are you kidding me? What the heck? That's, that's my response, at least, right? Like, you pull up and it's like, detour head. You're like, Argh. in the back of my mind. Like, I am not a detour person at all, right? Detours are, 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 are like, listen, I mean, I hate detours. When I'm, when I'm in a hurry or it's unplanned, it's inconvenient, it interrupts my intended path or the direction I, I want to go, they, they, they normally take you what? They take you long, out-of-the-way routes and things like that. They slow you down to get where you really want to go. And most of us can sit back and you know where you've been, you know detours you've been on, you can sit back and you go, yep, been there, done that took a lot longer than I ever thought would happen, right? Now, there's another side of me that loves detours. So for those of you who don't know, I work for the Missouri Baptist Convention. I work with church planters. Um, we're trying to reach and engage the ethnic people groups that live here in the state of Missouri. As a matter of fact, um, on Friday, I was talking to a Chin pastor, um, and he's from the, the, the Myanmar, Burma area, but they have a church in Purdy, Missouri, Right? Last Sunday, they baptized 26. I was like, what? Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? His name's Van. You could be praying for Van, and, and the, it's called the Farm Chin Baptist Church in Purdy, Missouri. They're, they're blown out of the water. They're reaching people. Matter of fact, uh, if you wanted to follow the Missouri Baptist Convention on, on Facebook, you can go there. You can see the link to it. We have our Multiplying Churches group uh, through that, that that did that. But I was like, 26? And he's like, yeah. Like, no big deal. And I'm like, dude, what are, you, are you kidding me? That's like more than some churches have baptized in years. And you just baptized 26 on one Sunday. So I want you to know that God's at work uh, in, in, in all kinds of ways. And sometimes we don't see the detour. So when I brought up this idea, sometimes I love detours. So like a couple of weeks ago, I was up at Chillicothe. And rather than coming back the old 36 to I-35 route, I decided I'm going to take the back roads. And I love it. 
because I'll end up on these back farm roads and things like that, just veering everywhere. It might take me 20, 30, 40 minutes longer, but I get to see things I've not, honestly never seen in Missouri, um, and I get to enjoy things. Matter of fact, I joke around with Kevin and Debbie oftentimes because I'll eat at hole-in-the-wall places, and I'm like, dude, you got to go eat here. And Kevin, they're like, we already done that. What are you talking about? That, that place is old news. We eat all these kinds of places. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of behind the ball on this, but sometimes I like detours. Detours allow me to see things and, and to, to know other things. And I got to excuse me, sorry. My uh, allergies are kicking in. It's fall. Um, for those of you who don't have allergies, I just want to say I hate you. Um, no, <laughs> just, just joking. My, my outdoor allergies are, are horrendous. Um, so anyways, but listen, detours can sometimes be good. Matter of fact, I, on the way out to Indiana one year, we were going out to visit my wife's family. And uh, I use this great app called Waze. Waze lets you know about things that are ahead. So we're right outside Columbia. We're starting to head towards Indianapolis or towards the Indy area. And uh, all of a sudden, my Waze app says, go north, like in five miles, go north. And I was like, what? Why? Right? Like, why are you sending me north? And I was like, okay, fine. I'll trust you. Because it said that that route was going to be 45 minutes faster than if I had stayed on 70. It's like, what the heck's going on? So I exit off, I go north five miles, I catch another road that runs parallel to I-70, and we start driving, and there's nothing. It's just black, driving, 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 driving. All of a sudden, we turn a corner, we come around this roundabout, and we're right along I-70. And for as far as I could see to the east was red, and as far as I could see back to the west was white. And we drove for about 15 minutes along the side of the interstate, just passing all these cars that aren't moving. I mean, they're, they're at a dead standstill. And we get up to the front and we catch over, and I'm not joking, not 200 yards from the exit that we ended up cutting back over and then getting back on I-70 was a massive wreck with a couple semis that had shut down I-70 eastbound. And I was like, God, thank you for detours, <laughs> because that probably saved us three hours worth of just sitting in traffic, not going anywhere. And listen, today or over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of jo uh, Joseph. I about said Joshua. Um, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. And what I wanted to challenge you to do is as we look through this over the next couple of weeks, really the next month, is to spend time above and beyond your quiet time reading Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. Because life is full of detours. As a matter of fact, most of us could sit back and say that the direction I had intended to go or the things that I thought I might do or might happen maybe didn't come out the way they did. Maybe it never went the way you expected and what I wanted, wanted, want you to really dig into and, and to hear is this, that God's heart for you is to use the detours to prepare you for something great, right? Every detour that God gives you in life is a way for you to grow, to mature, to develop character, to, to, to learn to really rely more upon what we just sang about, to rely upon God and his sovereignty in my life, that he's going to strengthen me. He's going to equip me. He's going to encourage me. He's going to uphold me with his righteous right hand because every detour has a meaning. Every detour has a purpose. As a matter of fact, as we look through Scripture, Scripture is full of the destination being reached through detours. 
Moses experienced a 40-year detour, listen, before leading the people out of Israel, or I mean out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then when he leads them out of Egypt, what happens? They didn't go the shortest route, right? Oftentimes we like the short route. That's, that's me. When I'm in a hurry, give me the shortest, quickest route. I want to dink around. I want to see a bunch of beautiful countries. I, don't want to, I just want to get there, right? And oftentimes that's the way we approach life. Give me the shortest route, God, and I'm there. And then God does things like this. I'm going to leave you out of, lead you out of slavery through Moses, but Moses, hey, I don't want you to go the shortest route. You're going to go south first, and then you're going to cut back to the east, and you're going to cut north, then you'll cross the Red Sea. So there's detour, right? Moses has a 40-year detour. Then Moses leads the people out, and there's a detour where he leads them as he's leading them into the promise. And then let's think about this whole story. After leading them across, what ends up happening? A 40-year detour. Like, think about that. Moses spent 80 years of his life on a detour, and I complained about two hours. Like, honestly, like as you begin to wrap your mind around the word and what, what takes place in God's word, you begin to see that detours are there. Abraham took a detour, right? He was told to leave and move on. Jonah took a massive detour, and God used it to get him where he wanted, right? Paul, he took a detour. He was on the road to Emmaus. God all of a sudden changes his heart. And it's not like he honestly, instantly became the apostle Paul. Paul was sent out into the desert for some time of preparation and maturity. Peter takes a detour when he denies Jesus, right? And then he comes to this point of like, God, what's, what the heck's going on? And Jesus is like, do you love me? Yep, you know I love you. Okay, here's what's going to happen. And every one of those detours was God's way of developing and maturing the people to prepare them to prepare them for the future God has. So Genesis chapter 37, we're actually going to read the whole text. If you'll just stand with me, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to read it as we go along. So Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4, say this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them, right? So he brings a bad report about his brother. So parents, listen, when your daughter or son comes to you and brings a bad report about their brother or sister, guess what? It's just normal, all right? That's just the way it works, right? Now, verse three, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You can have a seat. As you think about that, I just want to really, as we look at and begin to dig into the life of Joseph and how we deal with detours, I want you to realize that Joseph's story is the longest story in the whole book of Genesis. It encompasses basically chapter 37 all the way to the end. So there's something great to be said. As a matter of fact, as I was digging in and preparing, I want you to see some of these parallels between Joseph and Jesus, kind of a picture of what would come with Jesus Christ. Both of them were innocent. 
Both of these men were innocent. Matter of fact, as you look at Joseph, you'll constantly see that Joseph was a man who chased after God wholeheartedly, who followed God in everything. Both of them were chosen and beloved by their father. Both of them sent their fathers, or sorry, both were sent by their fathers to see about their brothers, Jesus looking for his family, his relationship. Just like Jesus, though, Joseph was cast down or cast between two criminals, You ever thought about that? Joseph was placed between two criminals when it came to him interpreting the dreams of some of these criminals. They both pronounced salvation for one and death for the other. Joseph forgave those who sought to destroy him, his own brothers, his family, and it was the wicked plot of those who should have been the most likely to accept Joseph, which is his family, and Jesus, which was the religious people, that led actually to the salvation of others. So I want you to see these unique things that kind of tie the story of Joseph as well as Jesus together. Like those are some great pictures for us to keep in mind that parallel what God does in his word. He's trying to show us something great. He wants us to understand and comprehend more of who he is. So listen, it's important to know that our destination, your destination, my destination is wrapped up in the lives of others. Like as we look at scripture, we're going to see this. So I want to jump to Genesis 50, verse 19, and then we're going to come back to Genesis 37. I want you to know how our destination is wrapped up in the lives of others. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 says this, but Joseph said to them, he's talking to his brothers, do not be afraid for I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them or reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Here's one of the things that we have to begin to kind of wrap our mind around when it comes to this idea of detours. Sometimes we get detours because God gives us a detour and a direction and and other things. Other times we are put onto detours because of people around us, decisions that are made, sin in the lives of others, the, the, the hatred and jealousy because of other people. All of those things are things that God uses in the end to get us where he wants us to be, to accomplish what he wants us to do. And so as we talk about, as we dig into this idea of detours, you have to begin to understand that all of this plays out. All of this is a relationship that sometimes my detours are going to come about as a result of my decisions and things like that. Sometimes my detours are going to come about as a result of other people's decisions. And so today, here's the main idea, the key theme or the point that I want you to remember is this, that God uses detours to prepare and mature us for the future work he has. Every detour in my life, God uses to prepare me for the future work that he has for me. It doesn't mean that he can't accomplish what he's currently doing at that point in time. But what I'm saying is this, most of us look at life and go, God, what do you have for me today? God, what do you have for me today? God, what do you have for me today, and we oftentimes don't think about the end in mind. We don't think about, God, what are you calling me to do? What do you want to accomplish in my life? What is the destination for me? And God uses detours to prepare and mature us 
for the work or the future work that he has for us. So I I say that in a very simple way because I want you to understand that to me, the story of Joseph has always been one that has been very impactful. And the reason why I say that is because I saw God do this in my own life. I was very much into church planting to the point where I said, you know, there are some churches that just need to die. They just need to go away. You got a bunch of old cantankerous people that aren't going to change, that aren't going to move, that aren't going to do things. And I just had this mentality of that's just the way it's got to be. They just got to close their doors, shut down and die. And you may be like, well, that's pretty harsh. Well, that's the immaturity aspect of my life. There was a point in time where I thought, these people don't get it. They're not on board. They're not willing to listen. They just want to hold on to their, their whatever, their preferences, and they're not going to move. And here's what I can tell you in that. There was times before we were asked to resign in our last church, there were times where I come into my wife, I go, do you think we're done? She's like, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm like, I don't know, man, God's doing something. Just kind of doesn't feel right. And then really, honestly, it was just kind of forced upon us, right? Like I get called in, I get a text on a Sunday night, hey, personnel committee's meeting. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> my, my wife's like, oh, the pastor's probably quitting. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> and long story short, I walk in the next morning, and they're like, hey, you're done. We want your resignation. And I can sit back and I can say, man, I did all kinds of things right. I did lots of things right. Was there some things I did wrong? Probably, Yeah. And I can own it and I can admit up to it. But here's what I look at. It's not about that. It's about the fact that God took me from where I was with an attitude of immaturity, an attitude of arrogance, an attitude of pride. And over the next year to year and a half, broke, literally breaks me. And then the funny thing is, right? God leads us to this church and it was like, serious? Like for all of those who are new, I want, you to, I want to explain a couple of things. First of all, I had a church planner's mentality, which was like, we're going to start something new. I got all these ideas. We're going to accomplish all these things. And God's like, I want you to go there. And it was like, hold on a second. And I can even tell you this. I remember looking at scripture after being called here. They said, hey, we voted 100% in favor. I want you to come be our pastor. And I said, I got to pray on this. And I remember going home. And I remember reading that point where Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And I remember going to God, God, seriously, any other sheep? <laughs> like, do you realize what you're asking me to do, God? Like, I'm going to take a $30,000 pay cut. Like, I'm, doing, I'm pretty comfortable right now. I'm working for my dad. I got all these things going on. And he's like, no, I want you to go there. And it was like, mm. As a matter of fact, I can tell you, I was standing right here. There was a stage monitor right here back in the day, for those of you who don't know. And I remember standing right here and I was preaching. And I was hit like a two by four, like poof, just all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was like, you're going to be here and you're going to be the pastor. And I remember at that point, standing right here in this spot. No, I'm not. <laughs> nope. There's somebody else out there. And what I want you to know is this, that God uses these detours to prepare and mature us for the future work he has. So I want us to see four things today that that I believe that we can learn through this. Number one is this, that detours can come through family dysfunction. Anybody ever grow up in a family that's dysfunctional, right? Most of us can sit back and go, well, there was some dysfunction in some way, shape, or form, 
right? They're, they're just the way things go. But look at the dysfunction that, that Joseph comes out of. And I want to kind of lay some groundwork for you to begin to understand. Matter of fact, I'm going to have a slide here in just a little bit to show up. But Joseph is 17 years old. We see that in verse 2, right? He's a young man. He's 17. He's tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives. Now, for you to understand what's going on, Joseph was born into dysfunction. Joseph had three stepmoms. He had 11 brothers and a sister. Now, you think you got it bad? You have have 10 older brothers, a younger brother, and a sister. And tell me what you got when you're number 11. Because, like, I mean, last I knew, once you got 11 kids, it's mine as well. Like, the older ones are babysitting the younger ones. Right? That's just the way. <laughs> Sorry, this is all right. So eleven is is Joseph. Joseph shows up. He's number eleven in the family tree. He shouldn't even be the favorite, but he's the favorite of his father. Why? Because his father wanted Rachel first. If you know the story about Jacob, you know that Jacob meets Laban and his daughter Rachel, and he falls in love with Rachel. He makes his deal with, "Hey, I want to marry your daughter." And he comes to the marriage day, and he he says his vows, and he comes to find out he's been. Tra- He's been duped to marry Leah, the older sister. And he's like, wait a second. That, what, the, that, what the heck, bro? Like, how would you like to wake up the next morning? It's like, that's not the one I married. Yes, it is. Wait, no what? No way, right? So he goes back and he gets Rachel and Rachel is his wife. But it's got to even start before that, because if you know anything about Jacob and Esau, Jacob started to come out first, but no, no, that's not the way it goes. Esau comes out, and then Jacob, Jacob comes out later. And listen, Jacob was the deceiver. He deceives his father to get the birthright. So you want to talk about family dysfunction. Jacob's a deceiver. Jacob gets deceived. Jacob marries both of these girls. Then Leah starts having kids, right? She has four. Matter of fact, you could pop the family tree up there. Leah has four. Then Rachel gets jealous. And so Rachel's like, hey, I'm going to give you my, 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 my mistress, my servant, Bilhah, and she's going she's gonna to help you have babies. So Dan and Naphtali are born. They're off to the right, right? So Dan and Naphtali are born. And then Leah has another one right? Or no, sorry. Then Leah, Leah's not having any more. Rachel's not having any. So Leah's like, hey, I'm going to give you my, my maidservant and she's going to have kids for you. Well, that's, that's what you see with Zilpah. Zilpah has Gad and Asher. Then Leah has another one. In the meantime, Rachel's like, what the heck? All of a sudden, Rachel gets Joseph. And listen, he loves Joseph. Why does he love Joseph? Because Joseph is the firstborn son of the woman he really loves. Now, Think about this. If you're any of the other brothers, what the heck's going on? Right? There's jealousy. There's going to be some dysfunction. There's some problems. And as a matter of fact, Joseph even makes it worse because what's he do? He goes out to the fields. He watches his brothers and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm telling dad. Well, y'all know how that goes in your household if you're a father or mother. <laughs> right? Dad, guess what? Well, now you got conflict. So listen, Joseph comes out of family dysfunction and detours can come through that dysfunction. There's this sibling situation because he was the favorite. And listen, 
the favorite. He is set up to get what's called a double portion. And the double portion of the inheritance was always given to the firstborn. So he's taken the 11th born just because it's the son of Rachel, the one whom he really loved. And he's basically bestowed upon him the rights of the firstborn and then given him a coat, a favorite coat, a colorful coat, a coat that says, I value you more than all of my other kids. Now, do you see what's going on? Do you see the detour, how it's already begun? Do you see what what God is using to, again, prepare Joseph to mature for the future work he has? So listen, detours can come through family's dysfunction. That's what we see in the first four verses. And and listen to what he says. I I highlighted this. I like to point it out. But it says, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You think life's rough? Imagine being the 11th born and not a single one of your brothers likes you. Like as the youngest at the time, before Benjamin is born, as the youngest, what do you do? You look up to your older siblings. He doesn't look up to them. Matter of fact, maybe that was part of the immaturity of Joseph. Here's number two, that detours come through jealousy and hatred. I just laid that out that they hated him more. But look at verses five and following. I'm going to read verses five through 10. It says that Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. Like Joseph is a dreamer. As you look through scripture, Joseph is a dreamer and he's an interpreter of dreams. Joseph does a phenomenal job. Matter of fact, you're going to see it later as we dig into this series where somebody dreams something and Joseph's like, here's what it means. I'm I'm here. I'm going to interpret it for you. And I believe that that's God's using him in a way. He's preparing him and maturing him for the work he has. So Joseph is able to interpret these dreams. But for right now, he's 17 years old. Think about this. Like if you just put that into perspective, some of his brothers are probably in their 40s. And here the 17-year-old shows up. He's like, yeah, you know what? Guess what? One day you guys are going to all bow down to me right? Like, I mean, honestly, think about that. If you're 40, 45 years old, and you all of a sudden had a 17-year-old show up and be like, dude, you're going to bow down to me one day. You're going to be like, bro, I'll put you in check. You better watch yourself, right? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, because you, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing about this world, and you think you're going to tell me that I'm going to bow down and worship you at some point? Like, I'm going to be looking at you? These are the, the situations, the mindset of what's going on. And listen, detours come through jealousy and hatred. So he says to him in verse 6, listen to this dream I had. We were binding the sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. And his brothers, do you intend to reign over us, (laughs) right? You can catch the sarcasm. Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Listen, I believe that God places dreams on our hearts. I believe that God gives you a dream. I I, I do believe that he plants those within you. But I also know that sometimes God plants dreams that take years to work out. Years. And the reason why I bring that up is because I said my dream was I thought we would be planting a church. Now that changed drastically. I never expected to be the direction that we ended up going to where I came in and helped to replant or restart, which was before any replanting idea came up. 
And I never dreamed that I would be working with church planters across the state of Missouri. You see how the detour changes everything? God had to use me or to mold me, to break me, to mature me, to get me out of an arrogant attitude, to say, hey, you don't think you know all that you know in order to help accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in the first place. Like I look at it now and I'm like, man, I wouldn't know about the Farm Chin Baptist Church if I didn't have my position I was in. I wouldn't have the relationships with pastors that I get to celebrate and hear about all that they have done and what they've accomplished. Simple, bivocational guys who pour their heart out day in and day out, working in a factory or working some other job, and then still pastoring a church on the side, and they're seeing great fruit. Why? Because God's at work. God's at work in the detours. God's at work in every moment in time. And listen, jealousy and hatred can lead you into a detour. God will not give you your destination if you will not allow God to shape your character. And I believe that's exactly what begins to take place here in Genesis chapter 37. God is shaping and molding Joseph into who he wants him to be. Number three is this, that God will remove the things we value most or we hold in high value. It may be your attitude. It may be your personality. It may be the fact that you think that you need to be the one that everybody needs to know. Listen to what happens in verse 19 through 23. So Joseph has, or his, his brothers have gone off. They've wandered off. They're, they're, they're raising the sheep. And here comes Joseph. He's, he's trying to find out where his brothers are at. His dad had asked him to go check on him. And, and, and as Joseph is showing up, here's what his brothers say. Here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, now keep in mind what we just talked about, right? He's got these great dreams. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, I, I love Reuben. Here's the, here's the oldest, maybe kind of getting his mind right. And he's, Reuben's like, he tried to rescue him from his hands. He said, let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Listen, when they stripped him of his most valuable possession, what they were doing is saying, hey, we're, we're taking what you value the most. And here's what I believe. In order for God to mature us, in order for God to prepare us, sometimes he has to take the things that we value most because the things we oftentimes value the most are the things we'll elevate above God. Joseph was dearly loved by his father but hated by his brothers. Joseph wore that coat. Now, I want you to think about this because this is kind of an ongoing process. Joseph wore the coat to a certain extent, what I would say is, well, they already hate me, so why not rub it in? Anybody ever been there? Like, I'm just going to make it worse. Like, you already hate me, so why not just, like, it's like me wearing my Bronco stuff on kickoff Sunday. Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, right? It, God has to take away the things we value and cherish the most sometimes because we oftentimes elevate it above. 
And so when we're on our detours, God, I believe, will remove the things we hold in high value and in high regard. When you're on a detour, you're going to feel like you lost everything. Matter of fact, on a detour, you're going to feel like you're in the desert, in a dry place. Notice they throw them into a cistern. If you don't know anything about cisterns, we have them up uh, in, in our cabin in Wyoming. Matter of fact, we, we uh, just recently cut one up and they've turned it into a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like a root cellar type thing. But back in the day, when we first, uh, when my grandpa first built our cabin, we had a cistern. It was spring fed. And so what it is, is it's a big tank that basically the water goes into and collects. And when it overflows, it would flow out of the cistern and go down into our reservoir or our pond. So we always had fresh water and then it would be, it would kind of be cleaned. And, and that's what we used to flush toilets and things like that. We didn't drink it or anything else like that, but that was the cistern. Well, this cistern's dry. It's an area that collects water and it's dry. And so Joseph is stripped of his clothes, cloth, his, 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 his garment that he values most, and he's thrown where? In the cistern, in a dry place, in a hole. To a certain extent, left for dead by his own family. The ones that you would think would be the ones that he could trust the most when in reality he trusts the least. And he's thrown into this desert place, this dry place, this, this place that, that there just seems like no hope. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say this cistern was fairly large because he couldn't just climb out of it. And so Joseph walks into this dry place or he's thrown to a certain extent. Let's just throw it that way. He's thrown into the desert place, the dry place with what we could say, no support, hated by his brothers, and in reality, left for dead. Because keep in mind, they wanted to kill him. If not for Reuben, I believe that Joseph would have been dead. If not for God, Joseph would have been dead. So listen, in the midst of these things, that God is going to remove the things we value most and at times put us in the desert place because God grows our character and matures us and prepares us for what he has. This is all a part of the process. It's all a part of walking with God through the detours. And here's what I love about the story of Joseph. Joseph never turns his back on God. Joseph always relies. Joseph always calls out. Joseph always cries to the Lord for direction, for leadership, for guidance, for encouragement, and everything else. And here's number four, the last point I want you to get today, that detours will take us to places and people we never expected. Detours will lead you into opportunities that you never expected in your life. Things that if you just lived by your simple, small dream, that God could not have accomplished in a greater fashion. But listen, when God leads us through detours, he leads us into the relationships with people and the places that we go in order to accomplish greater things, that things that we couldn't expect or imagine. Every detour has a greater outcome in God's economy. Every detour has a purpose and here's the problem. Here's the struggle that we oftentimes run into it. Whether you're in a detour now or you've gone through a detour or you're heading towards a detour, all of us face them. And listen, every circumstance in life to a certain extent can be a detour. Losing a loved one, detour. Looking for a job and meaning, trying to decide if I want to go to college or not, detour. 
Losing a, a job in the end because of something else that may have happened. Detour. Marriage. Detour. Maybe a big detour. Kids. Detour. All of these things kind of play in, and detours will take us to places and people we've never expected. But I also know this, that God is faithful. We, we have to understand this, the truth of what we call God's sovereignty, right? That God is in control of what's going on, and that God is going to lead me in the right direction as I walk in obedience to Him. Why? Because God wants the best for me. So many times we look and go, God, where are you? Why are you leaving me? Why have you abandoned me? What's going on? And God's like, I got the best for you. You just got to stay on the detour. Trust me in the details. Follow me in the directions. Like I used that detour earlier about the idea of going to Indiana, but God sometimes says, I'm going to detour you here. Why? To force you or to save you from calamity and to force you to go in a different direction. Why? Because God has our best interest in mind. God has a bigger purpose in mind. God has the destination for you in the end to accomplish something greater for his kingdom. So God's plan for, was for Joseph to get him to Egypt to, to fulfill what God wanted him to do. Look at verses 25 through 28. As they sat down to eat their meal, this is the brothers, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Judah, the, the brother, one of the brothers of Leah, or sons of, of Leah says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And so his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the desert, right? Out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Listen, for some silver, they sell their brother into slavery. For a small amount of silver, they sell him off into slavery. And yet God expands his kingdom and his impact through the detour he led Joseph on. Why? Because Joseph eventually goes to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he rises to second in power. And if you know anything about what happens, there are seven years of, of, great, of great reaping of harvest, and then there are seven years of famine. And Joseph is the one, because of the wisdom of God, who stores everything up, not just for the Egyptians, but guess what? It ends up saving the people around him. And it's all because Joseph was obedient in the detour. When you and I are obedient in the detours that God oftentimes takes us through, God works in the ways that only God can work. See, God allows unexpected detours in order to prepare you and I for maturity, for the tasks and the destination he has while, listen, while he is also working on the destination for when you get there. I can guarantee you Joseph's dreams didn't include being sold into slavery, being abandoned by his brothers, being thrown into a pit, and being led to a different country. Joseph thought at some point, my brother's going to bow down. Why? Because I'm going to be the one who is going to rise up and lead this family. 
But in the end, Joseph leads something even greater, which is the restoration and the salvation of the people around, not just Egypt, but the nations around Egypt, including his own brothers and family. Joseph's story is a simple fact that when we follow the detours God gives us, he's going to deliver us into a greater purpose than what we can even dream or imagine. And so my question to you today is this. The detour you're on right now, are you looking for the greater purpose? Are you seeking God and his provision? Are you looking for the direction that he wants to go? Because listen, we can look at it and we can say, man, I came from a family that was so dysfunctional, it doesn't make sense. Did you have three stepmoms and 11 brothers? Was your dad a deceiver? All of these things kind of play out. Did your family so hate you that they wanted to sell you into slavery? Like as we begin to wrap our minds around this, we begin to say this, and I think it's a very simple thing. God, whatever it takes, wherever you lead, if that means I gotta be sold off into slavery to the Ishmaelites, I will follow you. If that means that I'm gonna lose my tunic, my robe, because that's of a whole value, God, I will follow you. God, whatever the detour is that you're gonna lead me on, God, I will follow you. Why? Because you are merciful and you are just and you will lead me in a way that will not destroy me and even if I die, I know that I have spent my life serving you no matter the cost. Every detour matters and God's detours will never lead you in the wrong direction. He will always get you where he wants to be. Father, today we thank you for your hope, the grace that you show. God, I thank you for the story of Joseph. As we dig into scripture over the next couple weeks, that God, we can learn and apply the truth of your word to our lives. That God, knowing that detours sometimes, they take us off the beaten path. They take us in a direction we never expected to go. Sometimes we wonder where you're leading. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But God, we know in the end that as we follow you, as we walk in obedience, God, that you have a greater purpose and plan in store. You have a great destination. And so Lord, today, maybe it's just a simple fact that somebody needs to turn over their life to you. Maybe they feel like they've come from dysfunction and hatred. Maybe they feel like people look at them with angst and and, and worry, but God, we know that because of Jesus' death on the cross, that we can have a relationship with him, and that's the first detour that we need to take. That we're detoured on to the path of a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would just help us keep our eyes on you that we would walk in obedience and to trust you in the midst of every turn and curve, every mountaintop and valley on the detours you have us in life. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.